This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rulerish Podcast. Uh, I hope trust you've all had a uh, lovely festive period. Um, I didn't really mean to emphasise the word period so much there. Um, to sound like I was cracking some sort of vulgar joke, which I wasn't. Um, but now it almost seems like I'd kind of led up to that and I'm now making an awkward excuse as if I wasn't. But I, anyhow, um, Seb and Raj are still out of action. So, uh, joining me this week, um, got a defector from, should we, uh, do, can we call you a rival podcasting, Dan, are you, are you on our level yet, mate? Dan Kilpatrick, by the way, this is, uh, um, <laughs> you on our level, that's, that's the question. Oh, okay. It's like that, is it, mate? It's like that, getting punchy now. I <laughs> see. You've had a season or so, haven't you? But yes, Dan, Dan Kilpatrick, Tottenham way, um, well, the Tottenham way. He's on the Tottenham Way podcast, and he's also ESPN's Tottenham Hotspur correspondent. Isn't that uh, isn't that correct, Dan? That is correct, mate. How how is that? Is it good? How is being ESPN's Tottenham Hotspur correspondent? Yeah, it must be quite good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's really good. Yeah, uh, I can't complain. I, I get sent to to most of the Tottenham games, which is which is good fun. The only complaint I would make is that I'm a Spurs fan. And sometimes, sometimes it gets a little bit like a job, too much like a job for my liking, which is, I think it's a minor complaint to make in the grand scheme of things. But there's there's occasions when I, I would just quite like to go to the pub with everyone, go to the game and not have to worry about five things I learned at the game, just worry about celebrating the win. And shouting a host of sexually themed expletives at the pitch when people do things that you don't like. Exactly, yeah, you can't do that in the press box at all. It's frowned upon. It's a bit, bit twee, isn't it, really? It is a bit. You can't even celebrate. You have to just sit in silence, looking tremendously professional, pretending to do stuff. Do you ever give it a sly little fistball? Because you, you, obviously you, uh, you, you bump uglies with Seb Stafford Bloor quite a lot now as well, because he's you know part of the... Uh, Part of the Illuminati, the press Illuminati as well, along with you. Um, Sue, I only ever see Seb at games when I haven't done an article for UMAX 6. I'm supposed to do one a week. And whenever I forget to do one, literally that day, I'll see Seb at a game and never at any other time. Does he shoot your daggers? 
He's he's always friendly for like the first five minutes, and then he'll sort of go, "Oh, you owe me an article," and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, sorry about that, mate." And um, but then he'll be quite good about it, and then I and then I'll do an article late, Mister Deadline. Well, I'm, I'm getting better, I think. Ne- next year, or oh, this year rather, New Year, New Me. No more missed deadlines. So no more tardiness. It's not. It's not good manners. Come on, you're you're a well-bred young man, Dan. You know that's. No, not... I know. I know. I, I feel bad about it. That's not. Like, talking it's, of, it's not talking cricket. Anything, I like seeing said because he's he's the only person in the press box usually who's posher than me, which which takes the heat off a little bit. Do you think you're not? I guess you see to 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 the to the unwashed such as myself. Yeah. I'd sort of say you guys are, you know, fairly similar, similar, similar ballpark now, or is a, is there still a, you know, bit of distance between the pair of you? I, 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 I for example, the... are you to him what I am to you? <laughs> I think we're similar, but he's he's got the double-barreled name, hasn't he, which um, gives him the edge. That's true. Uh, this is great content, by the way. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, I'm loving this. Whenever you're ready to start talking football, uh, I don't know, mate. You've, you've you've listened to this before, haven't you? At least you pretend to, anyway. When, I, when I've spoken <laughs> I to you about it before, I, I have listened to it. Yeah, um, I think it was. I think you sort of said to me in private, I was one of the great inspirations, and in you starting your own podcast. So you know, that's uh, that that was never said. By the way, you don't <laughs> need to. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I think it was Tom that said that, um, but. It's been a pretty uh, an action packed, shall we say? Let's let's hype up the let's hype up the the Sky Sports narrative. It's been yeah. an action packed festive uh, festive period for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, you, you happy with how it's gone overall? Yeah, I think yeah, it's hard to be unhappy, isn't it? I, I do I do think, and I've been saying this on on my superior podcast for the last few weeks that it, it is a bit difficult. With Spurs to 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 take too much from from these games because I think there are a lot of bad teams in the Premier League this year, and I think Watford are a, a bad team, and I actually think Southampton are quite a bad team this year. I mean, the fact that Everton are seventh, having played well about four or five times this season, tells you a lot about the Premier League. So while I'm really pleased with the results against Saints and Watford, you, you couldn't really ask for much more from either game apart from maybe keeping a clean sheet and not conceding those stoppy goals, one at the very beginning, one at the very end. Uh, I do think it's a bit tricky to to read too much into it. And obviously the real test is going to be tomorrow night, Wednesday night. What's going on tomorrow night, Dan? Well, let's let's, let's not talk about that one actually yet. This is, yeah. this is how well prepared I am. Um, I mean, it's been said, right, because it, it, you've just said it there, that Southampton... Um, and Watford aren't perhaps the the greatest yardsticks of where we are, but it it is convincing at least to see us put so many past them. Um, do you? I mean, are you are you convinced by? Because I mean, we we've had a bit of like sketchy form. The likes of like Deli Ali has been someone that's been kind of noted. Um, Christian Eriksen up to this point has kind of been you know bit of a passenger perhaps um there's been some questions about Wanyama which I've not been totally convinced by but you know they they they've kind of stood um Harry Kane obviously has been 
injured. I don't think there's been any question marks over Kane. I think it's just more so that he's not been fit. Mm. Um, but it is encouraging to see that there is that kind of fluidity coming back to our attacking play, at least, because that's that's been something that hasn't, yeah, no matter the kind of quality of opposition we faced earlier on in the season, it hasn't really looked like we've had a lot of cohesion up front. Um, so I guess that that would be something that we could probably take a positive from, isn't it, over the over the past couple of games? Yeah, say? that's that's true. And on on that run where we got one win in ten, I think it was when, which coincided with Alderweireld being injured, which I think was no coincidence. The the real concern was, as you said, the lack of fluidity in attack, and I think those three behind Kane just weren't scoring. It, it was it became a case of if Kane doesn't score. Spurs aren't going to score, and the, and Kane was was missing for, for for a few of those games, I think. But the phrase being banded around in kind of October, November was, you know, where's the goal coming from? And now suddenly, it does look as though Ali's going to score, and it does look as though Ericsson's going to score, and and I think that's that's really important. And I think a lot a lot of that's to do with little things. What Pochettino was highlighting. A few months ago, is that certain things just just weren't clicking, and whether that was fitness of players, or a couple of injuries, or suspensions, or, or maybe the, the fullbacks just not quite uh, looking as good as they are now. Whatever it was, it, it wasn't coming together. But it does seem like it's it's kind of clicking into place now. And and yeah, I think that there's there's a lot to be said for putting four past anyone in the Premier League. Even though I also think there there are a lot of poorer teams in the league this year than than the seasons gone by. It's uh, it, it is encouraging to see Deli Ali. Um, I mean, I, I think the knives came out for him a bit too quickly, considering he's a he's a twenty year old still in his second season, full season in the Premier League. Yeah, like, people probably went a little OTT with uh, you know he's a one season because there were quite a few even Spurs fans saying you know maybe he's not up to it, maybe he's not all that good. Um, because he, you know, he he did act, he probably acted a little bit Charlie Big Potatoes at the start of the season, didn't he? But he seems to have sort of snapped out of that um, and seems to just be focusing on the basics, really. Um, I, I don't know if you'd agree with that. That's kind of my my layman's interpretation, at least. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's that's spot on, really. I, I think Ali. It's a it's a confidence thing. Ali seems like the kind of player who's always confident and and always looking to try something. But actually, he's, I think he's like anyone else in that if it's not quite happening for him, it, his head drops. And last season, he was just riding the wave the whole season. And even when he was playing poorly, Pochettino was not taking him off. He was keeping him on the pitch because he can make a difference. And there were a couple of games, the Palace game is the obvious one where he hadn't really done much, and he scored that unbelievable goal. The Man United game where he hadn't really done much and he scored the opening goal. So I think that that changed this season. And Pochettino was actually bringing him off around kind of seventy minutes, and in, in I think it was three out of four games he, he brought him off. And in, in, in about again in that spell in about October and November, and obviously Ali was struggling a little bit with confidence, and he wasn't quite hitting the heights of last season. And all, all it's taken, I think, is is a couple of goals and a couple of good performances and now it feels like he's he's back. But as you said, he's he's 20 years old and I think the whole of last year, everyone was saying, this isn't going to last forever, he is going to hit a dip at some point and now that's come, 
there should be no surprises. People shouldn't be saying, oh, well, maybe he's not all that. They should be saying, well, here's that dip that we knew was coming and he seems to have got over it fairly quickly. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it a particularly big dip. His form's just, just been patchy, hasn't it? Yeah. And he's, I mean, he still performs all right, hasn't he? Even though it's, I just think a lot of our players have set the bar so high, haven't they? Really, that you, you kind of even a even a, a fairly average performance, which is better than a lot of players playing at a kind of almost optimal level now. You expect so much more from them, don't you? Really, um, I think like Ericsson, for example, is a, is a kind of a. a a key showing of that he he's he's managed to churn out a pretty decent season whereas it, to me it only looks like he's really been playing properly for the past sort of three four games um yeah I mean, I, the other thing the thing to say about Ali and Ericsson I think Ericsson I've been a bit disappointed with overall even though he has stepped up in the last few weeks but Pochettino's pissed about a lot with formations and with personnel and on the one hand, it's a positive because it means Spurs can play in a different way and maybe they'll play the three at the back against Chelsea and, and go like for like and, and that'll, that might make the difference. But on the other hand, I would argue that he changed the winning formula earlier this season when he probably didn't need to. And that really impacted Ericsson and Ali. And, and particularly for Ali, who's quite a young player. I think it was hard for him because he was getting used to playing a slightly different role. And I think that was... That was pretty clear from from the beginning uh, of the switch, which I think was the Monaco game, the, the defeat at Wembley, when Spurs kind of went four one four one for the first time, and Ali had a strange game where he was full of tricks and flicks, and he looked on form, but he didn't really know what he was supposed to be doing. And I think he's had to learn to to play in slightly different ways, and I think Ericsson has too. There's a couple of times where he's played deeper and looked quite good, and a couple of times where he's played on the right and looked quite good, but that's all new for him. Uh, so I think it's worth considering. Um, and for both of them as well, I think particularly Ali, Lamella not being in the team has made a difference because Ali actually got a lot of credit for linking up really well with Kane last season, but I also thought he linked up really well with Lamella. They always used to sort of riff off each other and play little passes. And uh, I think that was that was kind of really clear in, in, in that good run of form toward the end of the season when Spurs beat Stoke was at 4-0. And a couple of the goals were, were just Ali to Lamella and that they both were beating beating the Stoke back line for fun. So there's a few little things, it's what, again, what Pochettino was saying about small things that haven't quite worked for them. Um, any, they, any concern your side about these uh, Madrid rumours that have surfaced today? Um, no, I wouldn't have thought so. Uh, it seems a, bit, seems a bit out the left field, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I think... You know, Ali. Ali's really marketable. I think he was named the most marketable player in the whole Premier League last year in some kind of study. Interesting. And, and he's also really good, so that will appeal to Real. But I think Real only tend to buy the kind of top two or three players in the league, and he's not quite there yet. Right. Yeah. He's not. That's the thing, isn't it? He's not punching at that level yet. He's not. He's not one of the top two or three players in the Premier League. But he. But he easily could be. And I think Pochettino said that this week that he could be one of the best players in Europe in the next 10 years, but at the moment he's not. No, I'd agree with that. Um, Kieran Trippier as well deputised very nicely. It's something you know, we've always banged on about, that it's nice to see that we can have players that can slot in seemingly effortlessly. Um, I still, yeah. I'm not too keen on the idea of him against Chelsea, but you know, 
uh, that's another story. Um, no, I mean, he did really two great assists against Watford, and that's exactly what you want from him, but I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Trippier. No. Uh, it's good to have in the squad, though, isn't he, I guess? Yeah, I do, I do wonder if, if the Pochettino's attitude to the fullbacks has actually changed in the last year. I think around about this time last year, he was happy to rotate them when Spurs had three games in a week. And around about the time that Trippier scored against Watford in February, I think it was, it was actually pretty tricky to, to pick between the, the two sets of them. There was a case that Davis was doing as well as Rose, and there was a case that Trippier was doing as well as Walker. But if you look at the situation now, even though Trippier did really well against Watford, there's miles between both pairs. And I think Pochettino has kind of reached a point where unless he has to or unless he really needs to rest them, he doesn't really want to rotate those players because he knows how important Rose and Walker are. I mean, they've just, their levels are ridiculous now, aren't they? I mean, when when there was not really much between, I think, in my opinion, Walker's always been sort of vastly above Trippier, but as much as I've always preferred Rose, I've kind of succumbed to... In the past, the idea that Rose that Rose and Davies might not have too much between them. However, I just I, I think you know both both of our first choice fullbacks are on another planet to the other to the other two now. Really, um, yeah, I completely agree, and I, I think that that might be a bit of a problem because the, we know how important the fullbacks are to the way Pochettino wants to play. And if he's if if he's got to the point where he thinks these guys are undroppable. Then you know, maybe he has to buy a couple of new defenders, new fullbacks, because I, I don't think if if you, if you've seen that tweet doing the rounds today about the the Christmas fixtures next season, where it's something like one sixth of the season in in two weeks. There's there's it's something like December twenty first, twenty fourth, twenty sixth, thirtieth, and January first. Um, and if he feels, for instance, in that run that Spurs are going to be significantly weakened. By putting in Trippier and Davis, then then I think it's a problem. Maybe we'll have Carl Walker Peters in the side by that time, which will make Windy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, Windy honestly, very happy. Yeah, yeah, that 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 could be uh, a solution. Although he seems to have sort of fallen off off the radar a bit, doesn't he? This before then last season he was on the bench, but I haven't heard I haven't heard glowing things from from the academy about him. Just uh, just uh, quickly as well, uh, Kevin Wimmer played as well the last game and seems though like he was he was out the door not long ago um yeah. it's, it's a bit of a weird one this one isn't it because it i don't know if this is something you can shed any light on at all but it, it just seems to be there's a real seesawing um of passive aggression from pochettino in terms of his outward quotes about wimmer um and the fact that wimmer does look like he you know enjoys a pork bap as i've said in the past um i think bankrupt <laughs> bankrupt called it the other day when he says that uh, if he was pressed into giving an answer as to why wimmer always falls out of pochettino it's because he obviously likes ketchup um so i mean do, do, do is he is he going is he staying do you do you have any idea at all uh i think that in in the summer pochettino was was happy to sell him so I think he he wasn't wanted provided he could find an upgrade or, an, or another defender and he couldn't 
so obviously Vimmer stayed and then he started the season and he couldn't even get on the bench and he was quite clearly behind Carter Vickers. I think there's there's been a softening of, of attitude from Pochettino, whatever the reason may be. Uh, and I think he, he was quite strong on it in, in Leverkusen, actually. Someone asked him, why wasn't Vimmer on the bench? And he, he kind of lost his call slightly and said, I think it was it was in part because he was getting questioned about a player who wasn't in the squad after a very good nil-nil draw, or what seemed like a good nil-nil draw at the time. And so he kind of lost his cool and said, look, I make the decisions. I wanted a right foot to centre back on the bench, etc., etc. Uh, but I th- for whatever reason, I think there's, there's been a softening, and obviously Vimmer seems to have jumped back ahead of Carter Vickers as the kind of fourth choice centre-half. I don't know. I, I think I think he'll probably leave Spurs in the summer, to be honest. Because Would you, would you be that sad to see him go? I wouldn't be that sad. No, he, I, he he did well when he came in last year, but I think with with the benefit of hindsight, I just do wonder whether. Well, I got, I got a theory that Alderweireld is is so good, uh, in in the in the kind of Ledley King way, he makes anyone that plays next to him look better, for starters. And I also think when Vimmer came in for that run last year, he came into a team on absolute top form. He came in, I think, around January, just when Spurs were starting to click into kind of fourth or fifth gear. And he also came into a very settled defence that was the best defence in the league. And there were times when I thought he was a little bit lucky to get away with some quite rash decisions, diving mm-hmm. in on the way line, things like that. And Alderweireld cleared up, or, or the, the, the quick fullbacks cleared up. He did well, don't get me wrong, but I just wonder whether Postino saw something in that run and thought, okay, he's, he's doing well for now, but this guy isn't going to be good enough uh, in the long term. I think that's that seems pretty fair. Um, I, I, I would just be fairly non-plus. I, I'm quite happy to have him around the squad because I think he's he's definitely he's a, he's an able deputy, but I, I've never really bought the idea that he's on par with, if not better than Vertonghen, which I don't know, just... Which I have seen. seen that. So there we go. But anyway, let's. Uh, I, I'm now going to talk to Connor Kelly about Chelsea. Unfortunately, that's fine, mate. I leave it to Connor. Welcome to Rule the Roost podcast, Mr. Connor Kelly of not only Final Third fame but also four four two, I believe, and you max it a home with Raj and Seb, who who aren't actually here at the moment. How's it going? Yeah, very well, mate. Very well. And, and yourself? Yeah, very good, mate. Feeling festively, festively plump, shall we say, <laughs> as, as opposed to the rest of the year when I'm just a fat bastard. But, you know, this is a time of year when it's kind of allowed and I can join, yeah, everyone else can join in the conversations like, oh, God, yeah, my trousers don't fit properly. And I'm like, fucking hell, yeah, no. Have no. you made any New Year's resolutions? Oh, fuck that, mate. No. Yeah, it's bollocks, isn't it? Yeah, bollocks. not at all. Not at all. Bar humbug. Is that, yeah, you, I think that... it's like, yeah, like when you go when you go down the local gym um, in January, it's just full of people who are uh, pretending that this is the the new norm for them. And um, by February, half of them have been weeded out, and by March, it's just back to the same old familiar faces. That's it. Lots of selfies. So, are you? Is that is that a, is that a subtle, not so subtle gym brag there, Connor? Because you you know you sort of said the same old familiar faces. That was a bit of a accidental gains, bro. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not hench enough to really brag about that, <laughs> mate, to be honest. No, no, but. 
And you it's, just, it's just more maintaining uh, some sort of semblance of, of fitness, I think. Do you wear a backwards snapback in the gym? Nah, fuck that. Nah. I, I, I try and go, to be fair, maybe the reason I see the same familiar faces is because I try to go as early as possible to avoid as many people as possible. That's good. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. No if, I, if, I see, if, I, if I see my mates in the gym, I, I avoid them. This is the, I, I, my, whole, my whole gym routine is going, listening to some music or podcast and just blanking out from everything else and ignoring people. So. And just go, just go beast, yeah? <laughs> just, <laughs> just being antisocial, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah goals. Um, so, right, we've, we've got all that shite out of the way. Um, yeah. It's been a... Been a pretty good, good. Well, I would say a mixed 2016 for Chelsea, wouldn't you say? If we're talking about last season and this season, yeah. Um, I guess picking first of all on the sort of the end of the second Mourinho era, um, everything it kind of went down. You, you must be, I'm assuming, a lot happier with how things are now, obviously. But were you sad to see it not work out really so much for Jose the second time? Were you an acolyte of his? Because I know he's a fairly divisive character, but it's it's hard to deny his, you know, well, brilliance, really, for want of a better word. Well, to be fair, I, I remember speaking to Raj, um, I think it was around March or April last time. Uh, was it May? No, it was it was before Chelsea played Spurs. Um, I think it was the first time last season. And Chelsea were in just at the end of the Mourinho spell and things were going horribly wrong. And I remember saying to Rash at the time that I was just tired and, and sick of everything to do with Chelsea Mourinho because um, I think um, during his first spell, because of obviously how successful and how brilliant it was, um, you you kind of lose sight of some of the less than pleasant aspects of Mourinho. But then after watching them, uh, particularly Real Madrid, and then reading, I read a book by a guy called Diego Torres, which is like the inside scoop on Mourinho's three years at Real Madrid. And some of the things that he got up to, um, you, we'd scarcely believe. But because of all the big name players that were, were sought out to comment on, in this book, you sort of are led to believe it happened. And then when you read what happened in the second spell at Chelsea, a lot of the same patterns were being, were being repeated with him falling out with medical staff and players and just basically, I think uh, he was the first person who, who ever mentioned um, being sacked during the second spell. Um, I think it was after the Southampton game where he just came out and, and said, uh, you know, they said, well, you're, if you sack me, you're sacking the greatest manager in the history of this club. And nobody else at Chelsea had mentioned Mourinho leaving before that. It was him who brought it up. So um, I think towards the end, I was just completely sick and tired of it. And I mean, it, it, it always it, the thing about Mourinho is he was he's always been like I say he's always been a divisive character, and you know, he was always prone to being a bit irritating. And I think there was you know there was obviously a lot of pantomime, a lot of theatre about the way he acted, his whole special ones shtick and all that kind of stuff. But it it did seem towards the end, and I'm, I'm trying to be as neutral as I can because I'm not a big fan of him as a person. Mm. Um, but it, it did seem that towards the end, he, di- he did actually 
become a pretty unpleasant bloke. It seemed that uh, uh, the, the, there had been an actual shift in that he wasn't just a kind of pantomime villain. He was actually becoming a bit of a twat. I, th- I think like the Eva Camaro yeah. stuff didn't really shine a great light on him. And I think a lot of that, like uh, a lot of what Mourinho said was kind of exacerbated by the press and stuff. I'm not making excuses for him by any means, but I feel like the narrative, should we say, was exacerbated by the press and the way they spoke about Canero was particularly sort of unpleasant. Um, yeah. But there were other things like, you know, with Rafa Benitez, he said, you know, he sort of said stuff about, I think like Rafa Benitez's wife needs to make sure she makes him more healthy dinners. And yeah. he, he just got a, he got a bit, you're dar for want of a better expression, yeah. didn't he? You know, and it, it just seemed a bit, it seemed a bit strange seeing him actually becoming somewhat unfurled in public um, yeah he was so jaded he just seemed jaded by it all and um i i was convinced when he when he rejoined chelsea um in the first place that he wanted the manchester united job and he, he david moyes got it instead so he ended up he didn't take to, that too well and <laughs> you can even you can even remember his first press conference back when he was referring to himself as the happy one and all this nonsense you could see there was a you know, there's just this longing sadness in his eyes uh, that he that he wasn't sitting at Old Trafford. So I think like he, he he basically did his best to be sacked in his final few months at Chelsea, and it was it was just there was so many unpleasant incidents with referees and seven minute rants after games where he, he didn't let the interviewer even ask him a question. He just went on these tirades, and, and I mean I think. You see a lot of managers, and I mean, I, I spoke to Seb about this recently enough, um, and he was saying that you get a real appreciation when you go to games um, and press conferences of how much strain and stress that managers are under. But with Mourinho, he he gave he always gave the journalists what they want, you know, these little sound bites, and he played them he played them perfectly. But towards the end, it was just I think everybody he, everybody was sick and tired of him, and and he was sick and tired of them, and that's why it's just. Uh, like I, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised when he got the United job because he'd been angling for for long enough. Kind of one of those things where you are. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in that position, but when you break up with someone, you get back with the ex after a, after a bit of a break, and then it's it's kind of good at first, and then you realise very quickly why you broke up in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And especially if that person suddenly became a real bad bastard as well in that time. But that's. That's kind of that's behind you now. I think the, I guess the segue I would make from that to the new regime, if you like. Um, how do you feel personally about seeing the way the players are performing now? I think particularly Eden Hazard stands out for me. Um, the way some of the players acted under that last regime. I mean, I. I I kind of accept to a point if people are in an unhappy working environment, they're not going to play that well. But it seemed like actively, a, you know, a number of your players, and like I say, Eden Hazard being a notable example, just d- didn't give a shit last year. And whatever, whatever they feel about the regime or so on and so forth, you think there would be at least a modicum of, of professionalism exercised, but that seemed to be all completely gone last year. Does it does it gore you to see how well they're performing this year compared um, to that last year? I mean, it, it, as a fan, it must be hard to stomach, is it not? Well, yeah. You see, I think there's different circumstances with different players. 
Hazard is it was just a bizarre um, kind of uh, change in form last season. I'm, I I can't put my finger on it really. I knew that I know the relationship between himself and Mourinho was quite strained at the end, but um, his performance, the dip in his performances was, was astonishing. And like I don't think there's any he has any excuses really. I think the only that's what. Mourinho did um, ask a lot of him defensively, and I think he just got sick of that at, at one point because he he sees himself as, and pro- probably quite rightly, as the most talented player in the squad, the the player who should have the team built around him. But at the end of the day, his performances were unacceptable last season. Um, with someone like Diego Costa, I think Costa still performed quite well, even though he clearly despised Mourinho. The only problem with Costa was, I think, his 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 body was in in, in tatters last season, his hamstrings. We were still feeling the effects of the hamstring injury he picked up at Atletico Madrid, um, and you're only start like this season. He, he's fully fit and, and firing, and that's the difference. He's, he, and I think as well the the lack of European football helps. He doesn't have to play midweek games, so he can just focus on one game a week, and his body can recover in time. Whereas last season, he he clearly wasn't fit. Um, he, he was missing a lot of games, and I think that's why his form was so patchy. But yeah, like I think Hazard is is the obvious example, and his form, like his form, was it was disgracefully bad. And there's there's no there's literally it's just so bizarre because you look at him this season, you look at him in the season that Chelsea won the league in 2015, or in the one um, fucking game against us as well. The prick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was as if yeah, it was yeah. That was just the that was the the game that kind of uh, relit the fire. Although he did score a really really good goal against Liverpool at the end of last season as well in, in a game that meant absolutely nothing. But um, he did have. It was just a bizarre run of form, and I don't think anybody can really put their finger on it. Um, and I think that's probably why, if uh, when Hazard was speaking of himself as you know a potential Ballon d'Or winner a few years ago, um, you can't have seasons like that if you want to be if you want to be considered up there with. Not that there's many players who can't be considered up there with Messi and Ronaldo. Like it's probably only maybe Neymar and Suarez. But um, if you want to be considered even in the same bracket as a you know, an Aryan Robin or a Gareth Bale, players like that. You need, you can't have off seasons like that. And um, I think I, I just, it's just, it was just really, really strange, and nobody can really put their finger on it. I think speaking from kind of just from the players who I watch a lot, it, it really is that mark of a of a. I think there's often this this misunderstanding that you know great players are judged only on their ability and potential ability but so much of it now and i th- i do think this is starting to become more a part of the the accepted kind of i don't know knowledge i guess is that you know the great players are often differentiated as well by their mentality right and mm. you know you see the kind of like the various regime spurs have had over the past few years there are a few faces that have maybe shied away at times when you know things have been shit and you you can understand again like I say to an extent like when we've had your likes of Sherwood in charge that yeah this is something that we've argued about between ourselves on the pod before players like Jan Vertonghen who some of us have felt that you know he's kind of shied away and you know the, mm. you can kind of say well would you play well under someone like Tim Sherwood would you like, you know, do you perform well at work under an unhappy, you know, under a shit yeah. boss, that kind of thing? Um, but then you, I always think about people like Hugo Lloris, who is a, you know, just whatever it is, he's there to do a job and he does it fucking well. And I think that's what makes these players spectacular. And I, you know, I think it shows yeah. people like Lloris. But um, 
interestingly enough, one of my mates who's a Chelsea fan has always said of Eden Hazard that he thinks he's a, a na- <laughs> he struggles because he's a naturally fat man. He yeah, yeah, he, he does have a bit of yeah. Like you look at the size of his look at the size of his arse and his hips. Like you, yeah, you can tell yeah, that yeah. that man would be if he didn't play professional sport, he'd be uh, a very large man. Yeah, he'd just be he'd just be a fat lad. That as soon as he retires, he's going to be one of those players that you see in you know twenty years time when they do those talking heads documentaries about whatever you win under Conte. You know, you're double. Yeah, you talk to him and have his big double chin and he'll be laughing. Heartily, do you know what I mean? You get um, the sense that if he didn't make it as a professional footballer, he'd be the the fat lad who is still the most talented kid, you know, in the five side game every week. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's always yeah, a skillful be, fat lad. Yeah, yeah. He'd be he'd be pinging forty yard screamers in the top corner <laughs> yeah. without moving. Yeah, the ball would just like maybe attracted to him, and you couldn't get it off him because he's so large and so ta- ta- so skillful and so talented. Get he doesn't to, move. Get him to track back the, though, it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what would you say then, mate, is what's been the hallmark change in Conte's regime? Because you lot are you're flying at the moment and you look so ridiculously solid. It seems, other than kind of what you would say probably looks like a fairly ropey defence, you just seem to be just completely solid. And it, it almost sort of the strength of your midfield, Kante in particular, seems to negate, you know, I. I a fairly suspect Gary Cahill. Um, mm. I mean, it, to be fair, actually, I say a ropey defence, but Louise is looking pretty decent as well um, yeah. for all his flaws. Is it is it simply, is it Kante, do you think? Because, I mean, I, I know a lot's been made of that and you look at Leicester's form since he's gone. Um, yeah, Chelsea and Leicester's body swap. Yeah. I mean, the, the lad, I, I, there was a part of me that kind of, you know, was feeling that Mares, Fardy, Kante, like, all probably good players, but, you know, will yeah, it last? Yeah, he's definitely the best, yeah. Um, and I, I wasn't overly convinced it would stay on with you, but it, it, he's the man's a phenomenon, isn't he? He looks absolutely incredible. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think obviously it must have been made of, as well as the change in system to the 3 4 3, because um, I think uh, what, it's, what it's done is it's allowed, um, it, it, it's basically solved the problem of not having John Terry in the Chelsea team because for so long when John Terry didn't play Chelsea looked uh, a lot worse at the back whereas the three at the back has allowed you know, Luis to play kind of central and uh, Cahill it's hit the for the most part it's hit the deficiencies of Cahill and Aspilicueta is probably for me he's one of the most solid defenders in the league always has been even last season he was still probably Chelsea's most consistent performer um, I think he's absolutely brilliant. He's played left back. He's played right back. He's now playing as a third centre back. Um, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, Kante's obviously made a huge difference in midfield. But uh, Matic's form has been great too. So, like, I think what the system has done is it's it's allowed all of the top, it's allowed all of the players really perform to their maximum. And um, and then you've like Courtois and goal. Even I only wrote a piece about Courtois the other day. Like Courtois. Even when he wasn't at his best last season, he was still arguably, you know, up there with Larice and De Gea as in the top three goalkeepers in the league. So he uh, let's, let's let's not go too OTT there, come. Right, come <laughs> well, I wasn't. Well, I, to be fair, I, I, I'm a bit of a skeptic with, when it comes to De Gea. So uh, I think Larice is far far better. I've always always have done so. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I think um, yeah, like the 
the system has really worked for a lot of the players. And if you look at the run that Chelsea Rondo, that Courtois, the, the game that stands out for me in particular is a City game away where obviously there was a lot of scrutiny on Guardiola's approach afterwards. But realistically, City could have been four or five one up before, or four or five nil up before Chelsea scored their equaliser. But if it wasn't for Courtois, who made two or three fantastic saves, one particularly from Aguero. And I think uh, it was just before. Yeah, it was just before Kevin De Bruyne hit the bar from fucking three yards out. And then uh, like Chester went on and won the game because Courtois had made two or three massive saves. And that's what you need from your goalkeeper. And, um, obviously, you guys have always had out Lloris. Whenever you are in a tricky situation, he pulls he pulls out a couple of big saves that keep you in games. And I, I think that's what Manchester City are missing in, in the sense that Bravo doesn't save any shots. <laughs> when they're in a game, uh, in a tight game where they, they need their goalkeeper to pull out the odd worldie. He doesn't do it. Um, He's and that's absolutely really... shite. I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to be honest. Like I, it, it's it, people, it seems to, again, as most things do now, polarize opinion, but I, I, I can't, I find it quite galling the school of thought that, you know, if you don't appreciate Claudia Bravo, it's just because you're some kind of, yeah, like even like, like Rob, Rob Palmer, who we did the final third with, um, is a massive Spanish football fan. And he said it straight away. He said, no, this guy's not that good a goalkeeper. He's um, like, originally, he, like Manchester City wanted to sign Ter Stegen, the other Barcelona keeper, mm-hmm. who actually is very good. He's a really good goalkeeper. And he can play with his feet. Um, he's He is a very, very good goalkeeper. And he would have been upgraded on Joe Hart. But uh, um, yeah, Bravo, he's been awful. Um, he's, co- he's costing them points. Like, the the idea originally was um, he would contribute to their you know their build up play and stuff like that. But even with that, his 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 build like his his play with his feet hasn't been that good. So um, you, you could you could see it at, uh, when we played him at White Hart Lane this year because um, I was sat right behind the goal for that one, hmm. and me and my mate we were watching it. We just you could just see. Every time the ball went near him, you could see the city defense were bricking it. You, you can see, like, you know, it, it instills confidence in the rest of the team to know that you've got a decent keeper there. And that's one of the yeah. things that, you know, it's reciprocal in the respect that, you know, I think Hugo's always looked at his best, first name terms, uh, he's always <laughs> looked at his best when we've got, you know, that kind of bedrock of Older Warrell and Vertonghen in front of him. Mm. But vice versa, it's that kind of chicken and egg thing whereby they always look a lot more confident when. He's there behind them, and it yeah. you know it builds up that symbiosis, doesn't it, throughout the team? Whereas with City, it just they, they just look so disjointed, and I, I, a large part of it seems to be because of him. Um, and Guardiola's yeah. meltdown yesterday was something, wasn't it? Like, so. Yeah, I think um, to be fair, I I, I sort of like, not that I have sympathy for him because I do think they should be doing better than they are, but I I do think that he when he was brought in, he. They brought him in to implement his style of football. Mm. Yet they didn't rec- they didn't recruit the players for his style of football. I look at their back, like if you look at their defense, their defense for the, out of all the top sides, bar maybe Liverpool, it's the weakest of the top five or six teams because they're all either past their best um, in their thirties um, or not good enough in the case of Kolarov. So like the like Sanya Klichy are both thirty two or thirty three. Uh, company's injury prone. He never plays. Company's done, isn't he? He's Ledley King. Yeah, he's like. Yeah, he's like he is Ledley King. That's exactly what he is. Um, and and Kolarov is just awful. Like he's a terrible footballer. I've, I've never understood the appeal of Kolarov. I think it's maybe just because he he hits a decent set piece, but I just think he's he's a liability. Um, and Stones like 
I'm still not sure what I make of Stones. I think there's still a player in there somewhere, but his yeah. confidence seems to be shot. So, and they don't, apart from Fernandinho, they don't have a hold of midfielder. So, like, that's five, those positions are all, you know, those positions are all massively suspect. And for the style of football that Guardiola wants to play, they, they just, they don't, they haven't recruited well enough for that. So, that's my opinion anyway, but. Isn't there, isn't, isn't there also that part of you there, though that thinks, you know, City is struggling and, you know, maybe they haven't made recruitments, but at the same time, you're walking the league with Victor Moses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely. it's... Like, let's, let's take nothing away from Conte. Like, what Conte has done is absolutely incredible. And, um, well, I'm not surprised, to be honest. I'm surprised that Chelsea are as far clear as they are of the rest of the top side because I, didn't, I wouldn't have expected a run like we've just been on with 13 wins in a row. But at the same time, Conte has track re- a track record of this. When he took over, like, a lot of people will, will just look at what his success at Juventus and mm-hmm. say, well, well, Juventus are the top side in Italy. He was obviously going to win the league every year. But when he took over, they'd finished seventh and seventh yeah. in the previous two seasons. And it's, it's like the comparisons. It's it, There's so many comparisons. In fact, the Juventus team he took over had, yeah, they... I think they'd finished seventh, seventh, and they'd been promoted from Serie B after their the Calciopoli scandal. So he took over a, a club that was at its lowest ebb in twenty years. And I think if you read in Pirlo's book, the first thing he did was he the first training session or the first meeting with his players was in the Alps at a training camp, and he walked into the gym and looked them all in the eye and just said, "Lads, you finished seventh and seventh the last two seasons." That's absolutely shit. That's not Juventus. That's not good enough. We're not finishing there this season. And they went on. I think their first season they were unbeaten. Um, they didn't lose a league game. So, uh, and they won the title. So he has history of these kind of runs where and I think he's so intense and he's so relentless that he won't allow his players let up. So, um, but yeah, that's why I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Uh, it, it, this kind of sounds kind of stupid. I'm not surprised, but I am surprised at the same time. I sort of jokingly spoken of Victor Moses there but the lad is he's he's doing a Danny Rose really like he he, yeah. he looks like a, a man reborn at the moment like he genuinely looks like an incredible think, footballer yeah I think there's always he's always had like he's always had ability and uh, I, mean, I remember his first his first season at Chelsea was under Rafa Benitez and Benitez seemed to like him because I think he's one of those players who listens to his manager's instructions and carries them out to the letter so which was why I was surprised Mourinho loaned them out three times because I would have assumed Victor Moses, like he, he's a quick player, he does his defensive duties. Um, I would have assumed he was, and he carries out his instructions. I would have assumed he would have been a perfect Mourinho fit, you know. But um, yeah, he's been absolutely incredible. Um, to convert him into a wing back, um, I don't think anybody would, would have saw that. And uh, yeah, like again, credit Conte as well, but credit to Moses for for the performances he's putting in. Strange, it's a very it's a it's a similar kind of career trajectory as Danny Rose has had as well. Um, yeah, yeah, a, like they didn't Rose have a few loan spells as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, Sunderland. Yeah, Sunderland. I think someone else maybe. I can't remember, um, but Sunderland was the most notable one. Um, mm. and, yeah, I remember him coming back from loan, and everyone, you know, it, it, similar to how it was with Kane in a way. It kind of been a bit of a derided joke figure, but now he's undoubtedly one of the most important parts of our team. 
Yeah, I think he's brilliant. Did you see he um, he was preparing well for the game the other night at the start? <laughs> yeah. Sipping pints. <laughs> Good lad. You can take the boy out in the north, can't you? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, to be fair, uh, Conte, this is one of the more interesting aspects of Conte's, um, Conte's time so far is that he allows the players have one beer after a match, like immediately after a match. So you get a choice of an energy drink or a beer because it's good for, apparently it's good for your recovery. Really? Yeah, yeah. There was Diego Costa was pictured uh, with a beer in hand right after one of the games recently, and uh, Conte just said, "Yeah, it's a it's a nutritional thing. You can either have an energy drink or a or a beer, just one beer, but you're allowed of a beer." Yeah. Fucking love the Italians. Yeah, they're <laughs> fucking crazy bastards, aren't they? Yeah, you gotta love it though. Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, mate, it's uh, it's it, it is getting to crunch time, and uh, mm. yeah, I mean, you you do have a bit of breathing space, but you do feel how close things are at the top you know every point is crucial already really mm. um liverpool are breathing down your neck you you know you get a couple of dodgy results and even the likes of arsenal spurs fingers crossed yeah. can close a bit of ground um do you see yourselves going the distance though if you were to make an early prediction i think the next couple of games are going to be crucial um like spurs if <laughs> If Chelsea, if Chelsea can avoid defeat at Spurs, I think um, that there's no damage done because obviously Liverpool dropped points against Sunderland yesterday, which was uh, which was nice of Jermaine Defoe to stick a couple in the back end against them. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I just think that Liverpool. I st- I've, I've maintained this all season. I just don't think Klopp's style. Um, I, at this point, I don't think Klopp's style um, and the squad they have is good enough to go the distance. Um, obviously they're playing some amazing football, but they also have a result in them, like the the Bournemouth game or like Sunderland yesterday, where they they throw away points just from poor defending. Whereas I maybe I, I could be right in Chelsea's obituary here, but I don't think Chelsea have that many. I don't think Chelsea have results like that in them, um, where they go and lose stupid points um, from winning positions. I think one thing that Conte is he's been so flexible so far. Um, like Chelsea will play. On the front foot in games, but then if they're winning, he'll more than he's more than happy to make defensive substitutions and, and see out a game. So, I think that um, yeah, I think that the next couple of games will be crucial. But if if this the longer this run continues, I don't see anybody casting Chelsea. And I also think the added bonus, uh, which is weird to say, an added bonus of not having European football, but the added bonus of this season having European football seems to be working in Chelsea's favour. So, uh, like the. Being able to prepare for one game a week, um, I know this Christmas period is different, but uh, the the ability to just prepare for one game uh, a week is, uh, is definitely an advantage that Chelsea have over, well, they don't have over Liverpool, but they have over the other top six teams. And also, I just think that I've, from watching the league this year, I think that the, like the gap between the top six teams and the rest is bigger than ever. It's ridiculous, like season, isn't it? Yeah, but like last season we had this, we had X guy trying to portray the, the league as, you know, this being the new norm that Leicester are up there challenging for and winning a title and, you know, like Southampton in sixth place and all this sort of stuff. They're trying to make this out as the new norm. When in reality, it's not. Like if I was just looking at it there, like you guys are pretty much in a similar position to, at this point in the season than you as you were last oh, we, we're season. Doing better, we're performing better this year than we were last year, mate. Yeah, but yeah, you both, I think you were fourth at this time last year and you are fourth this season. So, um, but yeah, you are, you're performing better in, in terms of results and stuff. It's just that I think that, you know, some of the other top sides have got their act yeah. together as well. So, that's, and a, it, I, that's a lot of the perspective because believe it or not, there's 
there still seems to be quite an unhappy element amongst the Tottenham fan base this year. Which, but like you've lost, you've lost two games: one against Chelsea, one against United. Um, like it's you, like it, it, the old Spurs would have beaten that, that Chelsea. United game was a bit annoying, but you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah oh, it was just because yeah, like it, you could see uh, that game. That game was annoying in more in more sense in more than one sense because it was the classic Jose Mourinho bring on you know Mario and Fellaini and Chris Smalling and and hold try and hold on. Um, but because they conceded, I think they conceded a lot of late goals this season. There was a, I, I, I had a feeling, oh, maybe Tottenham can get back in this. But after with 20 minutes left, it just didn't look like Spurs were going to get a result. But um, but yeah, like I think like the, the old Spurs would have, let's say, would have beaten Chelsea and then lost to like Burnley. Whereas I don't think this team doesn't seem to have those results in them. Like against shit teams, you you, you dispatch the shit teams like you, that the weekend against Watford. He, like that was that was so comfortable, and that's one thing that Pochettino's done so, since he's been at Spurs is that you guys don't lose to teams that you should. You don't lose to teams that you ordinarily shouldn't lose to. You know what I mean? Yeah. You seem to have. You seem to be much more consistent against the teams that you should be beating. You'd like to think so. It's only taken us like twenty odd years of being in the Premier League now to. Yeah, some of these sides aside, uh, some of these teams aside, but we're uh, yeah, yeah, we are looking all right. Um, if I mean. As someone that you know, obviously watches Chelsea probably a lot more intently than many of our listeners do, um, understandably so. If we are to get you, despite you know you looking so solid, Spurs are in coming. Looks like we're coming into good form at least now. Um, after mm. a few initial kind of hiccups, bit of you know a disjointed kind of look to the side, we've still been grinding out those results. So, which I think is testament to the quality in our side more than the way we've been playing, should I say. Yeah. Um, but it does seem to be that, you know, the, the pieces are coming together now and a lot of players are starting to perform. So we are going to have a good game, I think. Um, but if we are to stop this this winning run and beat you, how how do you think we're going to get at you? Where do you look most vulnerable? Um. Well, the... I, Spurs, I thought Spurs a few weeks ago when, when Chelsea beat Spurs, I, the first half, I thought Spurs were really, really good. Um, but I think Chelsea contributed to Tottenham's performance in the sense that they were so passive in the first half. They just sat back. And if it wasn't for Pedro's brilliant goal, Chelsea would have been in a lot more of a tricky situation. Um, so I think like the games Chelsea have lost this season against Liverpool and Arsenal, obviously there was a different system in place, but it largely came from sitting back and allowing the other team just knock the ball about um like the first half against Liverpool in particular and actually the first half against Arsenal Chelsea got ripped to shreds because they they were so passive and they didn't really play their game so I think that the, the danger for Chelsea in this game is to sit back and allow Tottenham lots of possession because I think Tottenham as they proved in the first half at Stamford Bridge can more than take advantage of it if they're on their game and they like you guys seem to be playing better and I think Christian Eriksen's coming back into form. I, I love Christian Eriksen as a player, and he's the guy who kind of worries me because um, he he has that ability to pop up with a with a screamer from nowhere. Um, but I do think like he, if Chelsea are if Chelsea are passive against Spurs, like Chelsea, their Spurs will definitely Spurs will definitely take advantage of it. Um, particularly being at White Hart Lane, probably like uh, I just think that Chelsea have to go out and play their ordinary game, try and get on the front foot, um, try and use the ball efficiently and quickly. Um, and obviously, like, the the game against 
the game against City was probably the only time in recent games where Chelsea have conceded a lot of chances. And a lot of the chances seem to come down the Marcus Alonso, Gary Cahill channel. So I'd imagine Pochettino will be targeting that. Um, like the the goal City did score in that game was a Gary Cahill on goal from just hilarious defending at the front post. So I'd imagine if, if Pochettino is, has, has watched that game, which he probably has, he'll be attempted to target Chelsea's kind of left channel. So I think that's probably the weakest point. Because uh, I think, as I, as I agree with you on David Luiz, I think David Luiz has been absolutely fantastic this season. Um, I remember when he re-signed and, and Gary Neville was, you know, Gary Neville's never been his biggest fan anyway, but Gary Neville was sceptical to say the least. But uh, like I, I, even even in the two games Chelsea lost, David Luiz didn't put a foot wrong really. So um, I think he's been brilliant. Uh, he seems to He seems to be thriving as like the leader in that, defense um in in the absence of terry so i do think though that it, that it like that is the one area of weakness i think uh, in chelsea's team it is that left channel if spurs can get at it okay and uh if i were to push you for a score prediction mate where are you gonna go um well because i'm on the tottenham podcast i will go with a, a score draw but if i was but if i if i was if i was being pushed and i had to make a prediction I'd possibly go Chelsea to sneak it. Okay. One nil. One nil. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Connor. And uh, I, I'm not going to extend any good luck to <laughs> the game or for the rest of the season. But but you know, you know there's there's an added incentive for Tottenham to lose this game. Why's that? Because if Chelsea win, uh, they equal Arsenal's record from 2004. Um, oh, and. And we, you don't have to listen to Arsenal fans. Well, actually, no, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's not going to happen because Arsenal fans will just point to some uh, reason as to why Chelsea's record doesn't mean as much as Arsenal's, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Either way, you're both a gaggle of arseholes, mate. Me, so. <laughs> yeah. It makes Fair. no difference to me. Um, it's like choosing vomiting or diarrhea, you know. Um, yeah. And on yeah. that cheery note, uh, <laughs> thanks a lot, mate. Have a good one. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Connor. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cheers, Connor. Thanks very much, mate. Um, not particularly looking forward to this one, Dan. Um, I, you know, Connor's, Connor's prediction at the end, he, he was, he tried to be, friendly amicable at first and said he thought a score draw but 
more realistically, he still thinks Chelsea are going to nick it. Um, can't help but agree with him on on this occasion. They look pretty pretty terrifying at the moment, don't they? I think they can be got at, but um, I I yeah, I'm not looking forward to this one. How about you? I'm feeling quite optimistic about it. I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to it from a from a my work perspective. I think it'll be a great game, a great atmosphere. And from a Spurs fan or Spurs reporter perspective, I'm I'm feeling quite optimistic. I, Chelsea can't win forever. At some point, they're going to drop they're going to drop points, and I don't see why it shouldn't be Wednesday night. I think of all the teams in the league at the moment, the team they probably want to play least is Tottenham. And that says a lot. Yeah, I mean, we we even though we lost them, we we played pretty well at Stamford Bridge as well for for at least an hour. Anyway, we you know, more than matched them, um, and we weren't in our best of form at that point. So you know, I think we yeah, there's every chance we can. Kane's uh, Kane seems to have found his touch again. Is up and running, which is obviously invaluable, isn't it, at this stage? Because Janssen just don't know. He's it's not even worth going on to that one. Um but so what do you do you think we can win it? Yeah, I think we can win it. I, I I've got this theory about Chelsea at the moment that it's not dissimilar to what Leicester were doing last year, which is that they're a team who are playing in a very specific way. Pass it to Kante. <laughs> well yeah. There, there is that there is that in common actually. But they they're playing in, in a quite a specific way that's quite new and fresh, and I think just teams haven't worked out how to stop them yet, which is what happened with Leicester last year, and it sort of made me wonder if all Premier League managers are a bit crap, really. <laughs> uh, because I feel like Chelsea can be stopped, but it might not be till it's too late. But I think if, if Pochettino's learned anything from the game at Stamford Bridge is that he can... He can seriously disrupt Chelsea with, with pressing. Spurs did it for really well for about half an hour to forty minutes at Stamford Bridge, and then it kind of tailed off. And Spurs have had a good Spurs have had a good Christmas break, and the Watford game was perfect because there was a couple of suspensions, and he was able to bring off Rose and and Delhi and Kane quite early, and they're all key for the pressing. So if Spurs play like they did against City in the two one in October. And they just get at Chelsea from the start, and and don't let them to play. Don't let them play. Get at those wing backs because I don't think either of those wing backs are particularly good defensively. They haven't really been tested yet. I don't think Alonso is a, is a good defender at all. Mm-mm. If Spurs can do that, then I I don't see why they, they they shouldn't win. I don't see why Spurs can't do exactly what they did against City, kind of race into a two goal lead, and then and then it's not so important to 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 press so manically. You you can sit back. It's one of those. It's the problem with Chelsea is always really. I think probably mostly with them in the Premier League, uh, as we saw in our game against them at Stamford Bridge, is that they just have so many players that even if they're not playing that well, can just make a difference. Like Pedro's goal just coming from nothing, and people kind of acting a bit surprised about the fact that Pedro, who you know, was part of one of the best Barcelona teams going, who they signed for a considerable amount of money. It's just a random squad player, but you do have these flash reminders, don't you, from them that, Christ, yeah, they still do have a hell of a lot of quality in there. Um, now Eden Hazard has decided to sort of make us a team he doesn't like as well. Mm. We've got that, but yeah, I don't know. 
fingers crossed. Um, let's do some. They've got yeah. They, I've just agree with you there. They've got match winners, but I, I feel like it might be one of those games that's decided by not by individuals, but sort of by the the system. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. of who maybe who out of Wanyama and Kante can can control that midfield and make the most interceptions and get the ball wide quickest, and and then who out of Rose uh, Walker. Alonso and Moses can have the sort of greatest influence in wide areas. I think it might be decided on that, but as you said, they're, they're, both teams have a lot of players. Costa and Kane, you know, who knows? Both of them can score out of nothing. Uh, I think what you've touched on there about the system as well, um, I think it's it's particularly pertinent at this point as well because um, I kind of touched on this with Connor previously, but I think the fact that you've got Conte doing this. And if you also look at what Pochettino has done with Spurs, I, I personally, I think it does put pay to a bit of this safety net that Guardiola's getting at the moment, where people keep kind of making this, he doesn't have the players to fit the way he wants to play kind of excuse for him. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I think both Conte and Pochettino have shown that, you know, you, you can still make do. Um Although I, I don't even think Guardiola is doing as badly as people are making out, to be honest. But they just don't look very inspiring. But that's just my uh, that's just my side take on that one, mate. Because uh, yeah, yeah look, I can't speak for for Conte, but <clears throat> what what I can say about Pochettino is I'm absolutely convinced that he only plays he only plays the formations he does, and only uses the players he does in in certain positions because they're the players he's got, and he thinks that's the way to get the best out of them. I, the whole criticism of Pochettino that he's not flexible, I think, is is completely wrong. I think he's really flexible, and he said he's he's on record saying that if he had two strikers, which he still doesn't, as they said, he would play. He might play four four two, and he's also on record saying if he had a superstar, an aging superstar like Ronaldo, he wouldn't ask them to press. And I, I think yeah, Conte's is probably similar in that he's he's worked out a way to get the best out of his team. And it'll be a fascinating game because of that. Let's hope he make his hair fall out again. Hey, that was shit. Um, I don't edit anything out there, so everyone will hear the full glory of my shit joke there. Um, right, let's go on to some of the questions. We've had Rebel Ramble at Rebel Ramble, who asks... Is it me or is Hanmin Son too sunder, too ponderous when we're trying to attack? Hashtag get on with it. Um, I don't know if that's anything I've noticed. I think my main sort of issue with Son is that he seems to bottle it for want of a better <laughs> for want of a better expression. Um, I mean, would you would you say he's too ponderous when going forwards? I think it's quite the opposite, really, isn't he? Sorry, mate. I was. I just got a text message. Oh, I see. I see how it is. Um, Son. Yeah. Too ponderous an attack, mate. No. Yeah, you're no. Uh, I, I, no, I don't think he's ponderous. He, he strikes me as sometimes being the, the most. When Spurs are playing ponderously, he, he strikes me as someone who often tries to kind of inject a bit of positivity and sort of drive forward and have a shot and try and take someone on. Not always successfully. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't say ponderous. I think he's. I, I don't know if he's. I think he's got all the all the talents. Maybe one of the most gifted players in the Spurs squad. I, I wonder if he's if he's got enough kind of 
of, of the what I would call the mental attributes, having played football manager, to be a real success. He sometimes just strikes me as a, a bit of a bottler. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think, like in terms of natural abilities, he looks pretty immense, doesn't he? So, yeah. Um, but there you have it. Not everyone's going to be great. Um, we have had S A Heaven of Hell, who asks. We finish fourth and one place above Arsenal, but lose the last ever North London derby at White Hart Lane. Or we finish one place below them in fifth, but win that game 5-0. It's just the latter for me. I know that sounds a bit small club, but I could, I couldn't, you know, that's that's a stain on history forever, losing the last ever North London derby. I can, I can deal with finishing below them again for another season. Uh... Mate. No, I'd take, take finishing above them. 5-0 oh, in the last <laughs> ever. Last ever North London derby. Yeah, Spurs lost plenty of North London derbies at White Hart Lane. No, I, I, can, I, can, I can take that one. We'll, uh, we'll no, disagree. We, we, huh? Spurs, Spurs need to get that monkey off their backs. So they need to finish above Arsenal because last year was... was we, we can do that in the new stadium. That's it. We can open up the new stadium by getting the monkey off our backs. But, yeah, but... We, but either way they've got something over us because they'll either say you never finished above us in the Premier League at White Hart Lane or they'll say we beat you 5-0 in the last Premier League game at White Hart Lane let's I, I think let's let's finish above them because that, that's a that's a bigger issue last year was when well, I don't want to go over it again but I'll, I'll take my petty small time petty small time answer it just doesn't sit well with me mate. I can couldn't have it. No, no. it's neither's neither's nice, is it? It's not. It's not. To be fair, um, we have had Duke Silver Coys at the Real Tac Fifteen ask: Would you splash twenty million on Bruma? And is there a price for Delhi that the club should entertain? Um, I didn't even know we've been linked to Bruma. Um, so is where is he? Is he in Turkey at the moment? He's like a football manager buy, isn't he? Is it? I'm assuming it's. I've never ever seen him play. I don't know anything about him, so I can't answer this. So, uh, yeah, uh, well, it's I, I don't know. I think he's who's who's who uh, says we're signing Bruma. I have no idea, but I've just seen it said to me now. I'm assuming he's he's like I said, I'm assuming he's good on Football Manager or something. So, no, I don't want to spend any money on him. Um, I'm not. I'm not devaluing uh, your football knowledge, there, Duke Silver, by saying he's probably just good on Football Manager or FIFA. But let's be honest, mate. Come on. Um, and is there a price for Delhi that the club would slash should entertain? How much would you entertain for for Delhi at this point, mate? It's it's got to be a, got to be big money, right? Yeah. In 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 today's market, I, I don't know. Uh, be upwards of fifty. Yeah, I think it would be upwards of fifty. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's one of the. I, I, it's one of those things. It's, it's sort of hard to put a price on him, really, because he he really could be. You, you you wouldn't be paying for what Ali is now if you bought him. You'd be paying for what he could be. And, mm-hmm. and as Pochettino said, and as I repeated earlier, he definitely could be one of the, the best players in the world, if not Europe. He's only twenty years old. He's still ridiculously young. So. I don't think you know, Spurs shouldn't sell him for any price. They should 
Basically. No, definitely. Yeah. I mean, put it this way: I... he might, he might, be, he might be better than Bale, and then we can get another world record fee if he wants to leave. I don't, I don't think we'd entertain anything like just as an example. I don't think we'd entertain anything less than a hundred mil for Kane now, would we? And that sounds ridiculous. That sounds like it sounds no, like a ludicrous thing to say, but it's because also Kane's Kane's. Kane's value to the club again. He's, exactly. he's, he's priceless in a way. You can't really put a price on what he means to the team, both on the pitch and kind of in a symbolic sense. I think he's he's a sort of figurehead and leader of the club, and he's he's, he's also, a spiritual captain, isn't he? Really now. Yeah, and he's he's also one of the best strikers in the world, and it's it's it's, it's one of those things again where if Spurs did sell Kane or Ali for a hundred million each. They'd have two hundred million in the bank, but it would be the same scenario as, as with Bale. You'd you'd have all this money, and you'd have just someone put it quite nicely when we sold Bale that you kind of sell a Porsche and then you get ushered into the Audi garage. It's, it's like yeah, yeah. We would have two hundred million burning a hole in our pocket. No Kane or Ali, and would only be able to buy players who were either young with a bit of potential. We know that can go both ways, or players who were a bit more established but not as good. So it it wouldn't help Spurs to have all that money unless we used it to finish the stadium, which you know Levy might want to do. But it's true. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to sell them anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Lynch at Mark underscore Lynch one asks if Eric Dyer severely injured a Chelsea player, would you rather Costa, Hazard, Fabregas, or another Fabregas? I me, I'd, I'd love him to end Fabregas's career. Doing Alfie and Gaharland on him, and that sounds really awful. But I don't care. I'm not. I don't know if I should get involved in this. Oh, are, you, are you keeping your professional dignity? Yeah, then? I'm too much professional. I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. All right, mate. You 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 walk that high ground, mate. You walk that high ground. Um. I'm yeah. On type to who I think it should be. Fabregas snap his leg in half. Um. Okay. Right. Let's have a look. Gavin Christofferson asks still critical of of the Sissoko signing in general yeah i am really i would say i'm i can see why he serves a purpose but i think yeah it's it's not popular but i think you know the things that people say he brings to the team i think andros townsend could have brought to the team but we flogged andros townsend because he was blunt instrument and that's sort of what i see Sissoko as but yeah happily proven wrong um um, yeah, I've, I've seen signs in the last few games that that have been really encouraging. And I do, again with Sissoko, as with Spurs, as with a lot of things at the moment, the test is, is Wednesday. I think he'll start. I mean, it's difficult to read too much into how he's played against Burnley and Hull and Southampton. And he didn't play at Watford, I don't think. Because they weren't particularly good teams. But, yeah, I mean... My my colleague who writes for Chelsea, Liam Toomey, put it very very well recently. He said, "With Sissoko, Spurs were really gambling that it was the the situation at Newcastle that was the problem, and not his personality." And I think in the first few months it looked like that gambler backfired, and it was his personality. But now it's starting to look like actually, you know, we we might have the France Sissoko, and maybe the fact that he had Steve Carver and or whatever his name is, John Carver and Alan Pardew and that terrible shit show of a club. The fact that that was where he was might have been an issue. So I think let's let's wait and see. I'm, I don't 
it's not my money. I don't really care how much Spurs spend on players. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hopeful. It's, it's like looking at the the state of John Carvey. You sort of you wouldn't be overly surprised if there was a sort of a bit of nominative determinism with his name there either, would you? Like he looks like the sort of horrible bastard that would take a cleaver to someone if he wasn't working in the football in the football world. You ever seen him? Do you remember his face? Oh, so I've just got that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't. He, I can't actually picture him now. What's he doing? I don't know, but he looks like an old an old boot, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, did I throw you by using a big word there? Were I mean, you not expecting that from? from I just me? didn't. Know you, I didn't know what you're on about for a minute. And oh, <laughs> people generally don't. I don't blame anyone for not really knowing. Um, let's do one more question. We've had Nathan at TT Tactics who asks if you had, oh, this is a better one for you actually, mate. Um, if you had conclusive proof that Mike Dean was in fact a Spurs fan, would you bring it to light? I like that question. So if I stumbled on a story, if I was told Mike Dean is a Spurs fan, yeah, yeah, I would because it'd, it'd be, yeah, it'd, it'd be, um, it'd be a good story. But don't, don't all, all referees must support someone. Wasn't there a thing about Plattenberg supporting someone and not being able to do the game a while ago? Or, or there was, a, there was a referee who who admitted previously he was a fan. Wasn't there a Leicester fan last season? Yeah, yeah. Certainly. I think who was it? I can't remember. It was a bald one, one of the bald ones. Yeah, and he had had been a Leicester supporter so he pulled from the game yeah, yeah I'd bring, I don't I'd bring... think he admitted to it though is it he got caught out he I think he someone he was someone dug up an old social media post didn't they yeah he and he was pictured like in the stands or something like that and yeah mm. um that's just uh yeah I'd bring it to light but I don't think much, you know I don't think it would be that much of a of a big deal I'd say one thing I, I, I do love actually well just whilst we're on that um before we do close this off I did like uh, Potch's quote earlier on in the week. I, I love how bitter he is still about the fact that the whole club rallied, the whole league seemed to rally against us in favour of Leicester last year. Because I don't know if you saw his his uh, his message, or his quote. I'm sure you did. It's your fucking job. Yeah. Um, when he didn't, did he say something like, you know, maybe maybe the whole league will be supporting us if we're up against Chelsea this year or something like that. Maybe we can be the new Leicester. And everyone will, you know, be on our side. Just yeah, he did. He said maybe we'll, we'll know how Leicester felt last season with everyone wanting them to beat us. That is, that is how Pochettino feels. He, he thinks it was a bit of a stitch up last year. So, I, I think I, I think I recall you saying on the on that other podcast that uh, at the, the, the the sort of the beginning of the season he was still he's very spitty about that that he's. It's clearly very bitter about it, isn't he? Which I love. I like. I really like that. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't want to particularly say he's, he's bitter about it, but I think <laughs> he's, he, I've got to be careful here. Yeah. He certainly felt. He certainly felt that that, and it's 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 nothing new. It's not surprising he felt this because I mean there are, there are several people on record, including Fabregas, Hazard, Tony Pulis, that bloke who used to manage Swansea. And I think even even others saying we want Leicester to win the league. Ashley Williams and then went and fucking threw a goal in his own net. Like. Yeah, so it's it, 
I think he he was he was kind of referring to those statements with, that have gone public of people saying we want Leicester to win the league rather than anything else there. Um, and yeah, he, I'm, I'm sure he, I'm sure he didn't enjoy hearing reading those things. Oh, well, good. Right. Anyway, um, let's let's kill it with fire. There. Uh, have you enjoyed your first and maybe last ever Royal Roost appearance, Dan? Yes, mate. Thanks for having me on. No, that's, uh, thank you for thank you for filling in. Are you? Uh, is it going to be a Tottenham way this week, or when are you guys starting up again? Uh, there's going to be a Tottenham way on Thursday after the Chelsea game, Thursday night. Thursday after the Chelsea game. Okay, well, that's good. A reflective, a reflective pod. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We don't. We're not good at previews. Piss boiling all over the shop and uh, such. I'll uh, I'll look forward to it. Um, and if you do want to listen to any of the previous episodes of Rule the Roost podcast, you can do so on Acast or on iTunes. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at RTR underscore pod. Um, where can we listen to yours as well, mate? The Tottenham Way? Go on, get it in there now. Uh, at the Tottenham Way, at the Tottenham Way on Twitter. If you, if you have a look on there. We're on Audio Boom and iTunes. We search for the Tottenham Way on iTunes. Right, there you go. Don't don't search for it that time. It's just being polite. Anyway, come on to A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.